Welcome back to the podcast on Binding the Bible. This is episode 114, Revelation, In the End, God. And on the podcast today, I would actually like to read Revelation 21 and 22 together and in their entirety. And as I have been studying, preparing for these last several podcast episodes, it occurred to me that I probably could have done something like this earlier in the book, and that is by taking chunks or taking sections of the book of Revelation and picking out key themes. Now, I know I have basically done that throughout the book, but I have actually gone through sort of in a verse-by-verse manner, but these last two chapters of Revelation could really be grasped thematically. Um, There are just a lot of themes weaving in and out. I want to take a little bit of time to talk about several of those, but in this first episode here where we're really going to dive into the passage Um, I've stolen this title from a commentator that I um, appreciate quite a bit, and he titled one of his subsections, In the End, God. And I think it's a very fitting way to conclude the biblical narrative, considering that the first four words of the Bible are, In the beginning, God. But I also want to draw um, our attention to the way Revelation 21 and 22 brings the entire Bible to a close. And for all of the fantastical imaginative visions that John has and the symbolic pictures that he represents, there is no picture or no reality or no spiritual truth more significant than the very presence of God. And that is what makes the new heaven and the new earth so great. That's what makes the holy city, New Jerusalem, so great is that the presence of God will be there. And so in this episode, I simply want to read for you the two chapters to let you get the feel and the sense and to engage your imagination about what it is that is being described. And then for us to simply rest comfortably in the knowledge that the presence of God will be with us forever. So let's just jump right into it. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, 
Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the, 12, at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lie four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22 then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. 
I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. I have to be honest with you as we start diving into this week's episode. I really like the title that I've chosen for this episode. In the end, God. And the reason why I like it so much is because it just feels right to me. It, it feels like the perfect bookend to the entire biblical narrative, starting, as I shared in the intro, in the beginning, God, and now here, as the Bible itself is coming to a close, we focus in on, in the end, God as well. In fact, the study of the last things, or eschatology, as it's oftentimes called in theological circle, circles, is really just a doctrine of God. It's an extension of the plan of God and what he's ultimately going to do with the world begun already in and through the person of Jesus. And so, you know, we've got God at the beginning, we've got God at the end, and it's fascinating because even in Revelation 21 and in 22, we're told this. Um, In verse 6, it says, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then in chapter 22, verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And this is, in fact, the Lord God himself. It's the first and the last, the beginning and the end or Alpha and Omega. And Alpha and Omega, as many of you know, are just the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And so this is a threefold way of describing 
not only the eternality of God, but the fact that what he set up to happen in the beginning is now coming to its fullest realization at the end. And so this is the presence of God. And right out of the gate in chapter 21, we read this in verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, the word there used for dwelling is the same word used for tabernacle. And the idea ultimately for the Lord is that what started in the garden, this place where the Lord and his people would meet with one another in the garden, in the cool of the day, which is how Genesis 3, 8 describes when the Lord came seeking out the man and the woman once they had hidden themselves from his presence But we talked way back at the beginning of this podcast about the Garden of Eden being like a temple. It was on a high mountain with four rivers flowing outward into the four corners of the earth directionally anyways. The man and and the woman being um, priests of the Lord in his garden temple to work it and keep it. Two verbs that are used throughout the rest of the Old Testament to describe the function that the priests were to have in the temple. We've talked at length about Israel as a nation commissioned to be a kingdom of priests. And what started as a small garden-like space was magnified to fill the whole land of Canaan, which was then representative of this small but but ever-growing um, return to Eden and the temple itself in the way it was constructed in 1 Kings chapter 6 was described as as being on the inside walls covering the stone of made of wood and palm branches and flowers and gourds being carved into the wood structure so that it would remind you of a return to Eden. So the temple idea is just the place of the divine human encounter, as Eugene Boring puts it. The temple is this place where heaven meets the earth. And in the wilderness wanderings of Israel, where they the people spent years constructing a tabernacle that could be moved, that could be packed up and moved to a new location, and then set up to once again represent this heaven meets the earth reality, this divine human encounter and the place where that happens. Eventually, under the reign of King David, a temple is built, a, a permanent tabernacle, if you will, which is all a temple is. The building itself constructed around this idea that the divine will meet the human in this space. And there were particular regulations and rules about who could enter which space and when they could do so and and what role the king played and what role the priest played and what role the prophet played. And this is why when Jesus comes, heaven coming to earth, the divine human encounter in John chapter one, when we're told that the word was with God and the word was God in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt there 
is the same Greek word used in Revelation 21.3, God will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And so in Revelation, the one seated on the throne and the lamb are both spoken about so intimately and so closely connected because we are worshiping the divine. We are worshiping God as he has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And so God and the lamb are spoken about so interchangeably. Why? Because when Jesus came, he embodied the Lord. He embodied Yahweh perfectly from the Old Testament and brought with him into his own person the dwelling place of God. So the Lord God dwelt in his temple, in his tabernacle, in his garden um, in throughout the Old Testament. And when Jesus came, Jesus brought the temple. He brought the place. Jesus was the place where heaven met the earth. This is the beauty of the incarnation. And so when Jesus walks into the place that the Jews assumed was where the Lord God dwelt, i.e. the temple, and saw abominable practices taking place in that temple, Jesus made a whip of cords, he drove out the money changers, he drove out the cattle, and he overturned the tables and said, you shall not make my father's house a house of trade. Well, as you can imagine, all of the religious leaders got upset. And when they did, they said to him, what sign are you going to prove, give to show that you have the authority to do something like this? Like you have just walked into God's place where the presence of God dwells and you've acted like this. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, it's fascinating as a reader of the Gospel of John because all the time something is said and people take it at face value when John gives us a behind-the-scenes glimpse at something more true and richer and um, fuller is happening there in what is being communicated than what the initial hearers of that word are able to grasp. And so he gives us a little parenthetical statement on the side saying, Jesus said this about his body but they didn't know what he meant. But then after he'd raised from the dead, his disciples understood what he meant. What's happening in John chapter two is that Jesus says, destroy this temple. He's not talking about the building. He's talking about the place where heaven meets the earth, where the divine meets the human. And when Jesus utters those words, even though he utters them in the temple, he's not talking about the temple, i.e. the building. He's talking about himself. He is the place where heaven and earth meet. And so what is so fascinating, and I know we've talked about this before, but I will just repeat myself briefly here, is that when Jesus ascends to the Father after his resurrection— he promises the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He promises the outpouring of the Spirit of God or the coming presence of God. And so Paul, in both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, as well as the book of Ephesians, can refer to the church, to the corporate communal body of Christians. They are together the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
the people now embodied through the person of Jesus, who was the place where heaven met the earth. Now, through Jesus, by the spirit, the church, not the building, the people are the place where the Lord God once again is able to commune with his people. This has been the biblical storyline from the beginning. Ever since man and woman took from the forbidden tree and had to be removed from the garden, the Lord has been orchestrating a plan to bring his people back into his presence. This is how the Bible begins. And in Revelation 21 and 22, we see the culmination of these efforts. The reason why this is so fascinating, and I I won't take all the time to, to do this on the podcast, is that at the end of the book of Ezekiel, a book that sadly so few people actually read, but in the last several uh, several chapters, chapters 40 through 48, Ezekiel is given a vision of what a rebuilt and restored temple in Jerusalem will look like. Many of the Jewish expectations for this temple were rooted right here in Ezekiel. And in fact, I've, I've even spoken to some uh, friends of mine or, or other, other Christians actually who think, well, yes, this temple is one day going to be built in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel would not have gone into as much detail as he did unless he intended for us to take this literally. Well, I, I disagree with my friend. I think what Jesus does in fulfilling the Old Testament and by declaring himself to be the temple and then establishing his own people, people who are united to him as being filled with his spirit and therefore being the temple of the Holy Spirit, I believe that the way the New Testament um, intends for us to understand it is to see people as the dwelling place of God. And this is ultimately how I think Revelation wraps up this story. The Lord will dwell with them. He will be their God and they will be his people. But at the end of the book of Ezekiel, at the last line of the description of what this temple will be like and why it will be so great, Ezekiel 48, 35 says, and the name of the city from that time on shall be, the Lord is there. That's the name of the city. According to Ezekiel, the Lord is there. That's what's being described in Revelation 21 and 22. Of all the images that John portrays, of all the colors and of all the gems and of all the shining jewels and of all the gold and the things that typically occupy people's minds, the one reality that is the most prominent over and above every other thing John describes is Ezekiel's promise of what the name of that city will be. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. And if we want to come full circle with this temple idea, and and I may speak to this a bit more in a future podcast episode, but it's what would appear in chapter 21 of Revelation verses 22 and 23. And here's what it says. And I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, 
and its lamp is the Lamb. This again, to me, goes all the way back to Genesis 1. How is it that there is light created on day one of creation, but the sun and the moon aren't created until day four? We talked about this in, maybe it was episode three, about how the Lord creates habitable places and then he inhabits them with things that are fitting to those types of entities. And day one is related to day four. Day two is related to day five and day three is related to day six. But the reality is there must have been some form of light that existed at the beginning that was not dependent upon the sun or the moon. And here we have an explicit reference to that. It says the city will have no need of sun or moon for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. Well, Jesus himself refers to himself as the light of the world in John chapter 8 and then commissions us as his followers, as his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. But then he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Rather, they put it on a stand so that it may give light to everybody in the house. And so Jesus refers to his own disciples as lamps. Why? Because we are supposed to be like these lampstands that one day show, that, that used to show up in the temple and in the tabernacle that were intended to shine light on the space in front of it. And what was the space in front of the lampstands in the tabernacle? It was the table of showbread. It was the reminder that the Lord provided manna for his people during their wilderness wanderings. Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 3 that he is the true bread that comes down from heaven. I'm sorry, John chapter 6. He is the true bread. And so to be a witness, to be a lampstand, which the churches are referred to, you remember, right? Churches in Revelation are referred to as lampstands. Why? Because we are bearing witness to who? To the true witness, the faithful and true witness, according to Revelation 1.5. What does that mean? That means that when the church, filled with the Spirit, embodies the realities of Jesus, we point the world to Jesus. Well, what are we pointing the world to? We are pointing the world to the light of the world. Here in Revelation 21, we're told that the lamp is the lamb. The lamb is the lamp. The lamb is the light. The glory of God is the light. And in, and in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul tells us that the glory of God shines most clearly in the face of Jesus Christ. So if you want to know who the Lord God is, we need to look at Jesus. If we want to know who we were created to be, we need to look at Jesus. And this is why in Revelation 21 and 22, the one seated on the throne is never given a description other than that. He's never given a description other than the one seated on the throne. But here, as we saw in chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation, the one seated on the throne and the Lamb come together and they enjoy worship by the people together and they provide light and they provide water and they provide refreshment and they remove everything from the presence of their people that is destructive and um, not not um, lending itself to the, the human flourishing that we all desire and that we all crave. 
And so what's ultimately happening here is that the Lord God is with his people and it's his very presence with them that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I mean, listen to how close one would have to be to you to wipe away your tears. There will be no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. Death shall be no more for the former things have passed away. The presence of God is ultimately what the entire creation is aimed at, is the Lord God himself dwelling with his people forever. And we'll look in in subsequent episodes about what also has to take place in order to make that happen and what is unique about this particular city or temple city and why it is that there is no temple. Well, notice once again, there's no temple... Because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb is the temple. So here you have the presence of God. He has now come to be with his people forever. So there's no need to be in a space, this gathering of multinational, um, you know, thousands upon millions of people in this temple city. This, in fact, is the temple. And so the Lord no longer needs a place to go everywhere he is. The whole earth is filled with his glory as as Isaiah speaks to. But here in Revelation, the entire city itself is the presence of God with his people. So the city is the temple. Everything John sees is the temple. Therefore, he can't see anything inside this space and say, I don't don't see it. Um, It would be like standing in a living room and saying to yourself, I don't see the room. And you're like, well, of course you don't see the room. Like you're in it. Everything in this space that you see doesn't look like a room to you because you're in the middle of it. Um, And that's what John's saying. There is no temple there because the Lord God and the lamb are the temple. And that's the hope for us as a church. That's a hope ultimately for the world is that God is going to one day write everything. He's one day going to fully embody the presence of his people in the space with them and remove from that space everything that is contrary to him and his ways and um, the, the human flourishing that accompanies it. And that's a hopeful message. That's a hopeful message to us as people who long for the day when all rights are or all wrongs are made right and we no longer have to fear and he removes pain and he removes sadness and he removes grief and he removes death. This is a place of joy and of hope and of rest and of life. We long for this kind of thing because we don't yet see it in its full manifestation now. But we know that Jesus has begun the process to bring this type of life to us. And in fact, that's exactly what he invites his church to experience in him. Jesus offers us life. Jesus offers us rest. Jesus offers us blessing and comfort for those who mourn. Jesus offers hope and restoration and fulfillment and quenched thirst and hunger being satisfied all the time. Revelation 21 and 22 
are completing that picture. They are showing it in its full manifestation, its full expression, its full glory. And that's going to be a beautiful day. So while the Bible begins with, in the beginning, God, the Bible concludes with, in the end, God as well. He is with us. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's all the time we're going to take for this week. Um, I know I've got another by the book interview to share with you in the next several weeks, possibly when I am on vacation. And then I will continue to work my way through these last several sections of the book of Revelation. Thank you so much to those who have reached out this week on Messenger or found me on Facebook or sent me an email. You can reach me on email at unbindingthebible at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, Joshua Yoder. Many of you have messaged me that way or we've become friends um, in the past and then you'll send me a private message and it's always good to interact with several of you. Also, thank you so much to those who have left me a rating or a review or both for the podcast on whatever app you choose to listen to these on. I would um, always invite you, if you have not yet done that, to please do. Um, If you've listened to several episodes and they've been encouraging or you've got some feedback of any kind, just leave me a rating or a review and that helps other listeners to find the podcast as well. So I, um, as we get ready to approach Holy Week next week, I just wish you all the best. I pray that your time with Jesus, with your families, with your churches is a sweet time as we look toward Good Friday and then ultimately toward Resurrection Sunday. What what an amazing time that'll be. So thank you so much for tuning in and I'll talk to you next time. Have a great week.